In the name of Allah, the absolutely merciful, the especially merciful. Alhamdulillah alladhi anzala ala abdihi al-kitaba wa lam yaj'al lahu iwaja. All the praises and thanks be to Allah, who has sent down to his servant the book, and has not placed therein any crookedness. He has made it straight to give warning to the disbelievers of a severe punishment from him and to give glad tidings to the believers who work righteous deeds that they shall have a fair reward. They shall abide therein forever. And to warn those who say, Allah has begotten a son. كبرت كلمة تخرج من أفواههم إن يقولون إلا كذبا. They have no knowledge of such a thing, nor had their fathers. Mighty is the word that comes out of their mouths. They utter nothing but a lie. فلعلك باخع نفسك على آثارهم إن لم يؤمنوا بهذا الحديث أسفا. Perhaps you would kill yourself, O Muhammad, in grief over their footsteps, because they believe not in this narration. إنا جعلنا ما على الأرض زينة لها لنبلوهم أيهم أحسن عملا. Verily, we have made that which is on the earth as an adornment for it, in order that we may test them as to which of them are best in deeds. And verily, we shall make all that is on it a bare, dry soil. أَمْ حَسِبْتَ أَنَّ أَصْحَابَ الْكَهْفِ وَالرَّقِيمِ كَانُوا مِنْ آيَاتِنَا عَجَبًا Do you think that the people of the cave and the inscription were a wonder among our signs? إِذْ أَوَى الْفِتْيَةُ إِلَى الْكَهْفِ فَقَالُوا رَبَّنَا آتِنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ رَحْمَةً وَهَيِّئْ لَنَا مِنْ أَمْرِنَا رَشَدًا When the young men fled for refuge to the cave, they said, Our Lord, bestow on us mercy from yourself and facilitate for us our fare in the right way. Therefore, we covered up their hearing in the cave for a number of years. ثم بعثناهم لنعلم أي الحزبين أحصى لما لبثوا أمدا. Then we raised them up, that we might test which of the two parties was best at calculating the time period that they had tarried. صدق الله العظيم. 
شروع اللہ کے نام سے جو بے انتہا مہربان اور رحم کرنے والا آ رہا ہے تعریف اللہ کے لیے ہے جس نے اپنے بندے پہ کتاب نازل کی اور اس میں کوئی ٹیڑھ نہ رکھی اور ٹھیک ٹھیک سیدھی بات کہنے والی کتاب تاکہ وہ لوگوں کو خدا کے سخت عذاب سے خبردار کر دے اور ایمان لا کر نیک عمل کرنے والوں کو خوشخبری دے دے کہ ان کے لیے اچھا اجر ہے جس میں وہ ہمیشہ رہیں گے اور ان لوگوں کو ڈرا دے جو کہتے ہیں کہ اللہ نے کسی کو بیٹا بنایا ہے اس بات کا نہ انہیں کوئی علم ہے اور نہ ان کے باپ دادا کو تھا بڑی بات ہے جو ان کے منہ سے نکلتی ہے وہ محض جھوٹ بولتے ہیں صدق اللہ پیپل 
entertain people so that they would be diverted from the message of the Qur'an. And so he went to uh, and solicited help from the, the Jewish um, contingent in Madinat al-Nawara, asking them for questions that they could pose to the Prophet And essentially in, in, in the Hadith literature we have this, this, the narrations of the fact that they asked three questions. And the three questions were firstly about a, a group of young people who, who sought refuge in the cave. So they wanted to query this. And they also wanted to query about Dhul Qarnayn, the man that um, ruled the earth and traveled from the east to the west. And so they wanted, nothing in the Quran had been mentioned about this previously. Nothing about this, the sleepers in the cave had been mentioned sleep previously. And also nothing about the Ruh specifically um, had been mentioned specifically. So the, the, the Jewish rabbi said, well these are the three questions that we would want to know. Another Ibn Harith came to the Prophet ﷺ and asked him, but the reason I'm mentioning this instance is, you know, the moment of might and power and oppression and persecution is now shifting. And Surat Al-Kahf comes at that very juncture where that persecution is changing. And in fact, in the, in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, it will be from that on the back foot to the front foot. You know, you like you're in the back foot. You're in defensive mode. Mm. You're basically taking the, the the persecution, and you're unable to respond. And in the front foot, you're the person p- calling the shots. And essentially, when the hijrah happens, the problem is is essentially now playing. It's like you're playing a game of chess. Every you know, the, the the opposition is making all the moves. And at a certain point, they expend what they're able to do, and then you're the you're the one that is now extending. The, the the positive, aggressive, front foot moves. And mm. so the hijra is that. Surah Al-Kahf comes in between the two in terms of the periods of the seerah of the Prophet And the reason why that is important is that Surah Al-Kahf in and of itself is very much about the meeting place, the, the coming together of two things that are opposites. And what you'll mm. find is, mm. you'll find, um, you know, when we go through this, we'll go, this, go through this, each of the main stories in Surah Al-Kahf, um, I would say there's probably three main stories in Surah Al-Kahf, which contain other stories. The main stories are um, <coughs> the people of the cave, then there's a story of Musa and Khidr, and then there's a story of Dhul Qarnayn. These are essentially the, the main stories. The, the sleeper's story is self-contained. The, the, the story of the Prophet Musa and Khidr has multiple episodes within it. Why mm-hmm. it happens, mm-hmm. what happens when they meet, the stories that are in between there. Yeah, the, the five stories. Multiple yeah. things. Yeah. And then you have the story of Dhul Qarnayn, which contains, subsumed within it is Ya'juj and Ma'juj. Yeah. Now, what I said is, <clears throat> Surat Al-Kahf is this kind of intersection, intersection between the two back foot and front foot points of the seerah. And Surat Al-Kahf is revealed in that specific point. And the stories within it, they're all important because they represent meeting points or changes between one state and another. So you have the the story of the the cave, which is essentially persecution and then going into sleep and then moving out and finding out that they were in in truth. So when they went into the cave, we'll find this out later. It's quite a, sorry, it's quite a detailed context you're giving when it was revealed. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason for that is, I think, how is that important? No, because the reason that the, the seerah, I just, I was thinking of it today. Why the seerah is important here is because <clears throat> the the chapter is going to contain the stories 
for which you need to know about this movement from one state to another, this inter 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 interspace, hmm. which we call barzakh. You know when you when somebody's alive, yeah, they're alive. Yeah. When they're dead, they're in barzakh until they're brought back the, to life. The transition. Yeah. So life and life, but in between is death. Yeah. But that death is 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 a is a is essentially nothing. It's barzakh. And if you look at it properly in Islamic theology, we call it barzakh. We we call it an interspace. Okay. A, a, a realm of existence which is not which is non-life, because before that we had life, we we take away life and we continue. So all of the stories are are focusing focusing us into the importance of barzakh and the interspace between two things in a way that no other chapter comes close to. And so there's all these things. The chapter in the, in the this in the Quran is right in the middle. The it's revealed right in the middle of the, of the seerah of the Prophet and the stories within it are all about a middle, an interspace, an intersection. And this is why, you know... In between if, the Meccan life and the Medina life. Not Meccan and Medina, because what I said was, it, the, the Hijra will indicate the Medinan, and previous to that is Meccan. Yeah. This is the point where the oppression of the Quraysh, because this is why I said Nadr ibn Harith is, is, is soliciting help from the Jewish, tries to use now argumentation rather than the force that they did before. So before that they had force, they were oppressing and torturing. And so why are they asking the Jewish tribes? They ask them because of specifically because they've run out of options to deal with the Prophet. And so this is the point. You know when in in a boxing match, imagine one side's really doing really well, and then there's a as a round where you see everything evening out. Mm-hmm. Or anything, football match or yep. anything, you see all of a sudden both parties realize it's evening out. Mm. And then the tide turns. This this chapter is revealed at the time of the Prophet when you can see, and I could think the companions could feel that because the Quraysh are asking their questions, it's, a, it's an admittance of their defeat of power and torture and oppression. That whole mm. thing of um, economic um, disempowerment and seclusion has not worked. The physical chastisement of Placing a, a boulder over on the chest of Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu and has not worked. You know, the. Sheikh, see, f- f- from a listener's point of view, I'm thinking some of it is quite a bit of detail of a mind who's looking to just reflect. Mm-hmm. This is quite in depth mm-hmm. and assumptions that people would know what uh, context of Surah Asbab al Nuzul. Mm-hmm. You know, how is that important? Why is it so important to understand? <coughs> I mean, I, I don't think it's... Comp- I, I, I did, I, intentionally, I'm not going to go into detail. So even mentioning, you know, the Asbab al-Nuzul and things like that, I think it's, it's it deflects from the theme. Yeah. But I think it's important here because it provides um, a picture of how this chapter came down, what context, what point in the Prophet's life it came down. It came down... At the point where you could feel the turning of the tide. So the most because important the thing for is, me to understand my faith, yes. to understand Quran, mm-hmm. is to first know Prophet It's to know how he how, how he lived, how he how, got this, how he got this, how he where he got this, what impact it had when it internalized in him and he recited it to the companions and they heard it. So at the at the moment, imagine like I'm speaking today and. Unless this is relevant to listeners are listening, experiencing today, 
it will just be out into the into the airwaves and disappears. Surah hmm. Al-Kahf, when it was when it was resonated within the the personality of the Prophet when his being was revealed, when he recited it, <coughs> it had to resonate right away with the companions to the point that they rushed. Imagine, you can just imagine them. The first revelation of this chapter comes, and they're rushing to each other, telling them, "Do you know what happened? Do you know the message that we've just received in the context of?" You know, the Quraysh, they're asking, and this and that, and this is what we're being told. And they're probably sitting there thinking, reflecting. Mm. They must be sitting there and reflecting over every single section. And it is, زَادَتْهُمْ imana, As Allah says, إِذَا تُلِيَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ الْقُرْآنِ When the Qur'an is recited upon them, زَادَتْهُمْ imana, It increases, and <clears throat> it leads to this perpetuality of faith erupting within their being. And therefore, for us as well, we need to know some of that, which is a kind of background story I was saying about the, the chapter, which is so important. And therefore, when you start to understand it and reflect upon it, that will be the thing that will allow you to reflect upon it. So the fact is, in the middle of the, of the, of the seerah, in terms of a, a change of tide, a turn of tide, in fact, this chapter will, will mention the coming together of the fresh water and the salt water. So hmm. this will come up in the story, as you know, of the Prophet Musa. This is where he is going to meet Khidr. And so this chapter is the meeting point of the front foot, back foot. It's the, it's the moment of um, defensive to, you would say, much more, um, I wouldn't say offensive, but I would say um, proactive. So the seerah is now going into a proactive mode where the Prophet is now deciding, or more correctly, I would say, Allah has informed the, the Prophet this is the time to leave for Yathrib, Tayyibah, Madinatul Manawwara that will be enlightened by the presence of the Prophet and at that point you can think of it the Quraysh are watching the Prophet in the distance and he's going to set up something which is going to be the Riyasat al-Madaniyya which is going to then challenge them and this is why when they realize that that's why they send Suraqa ibn Malik this is why they send the, the bounty hunters to catch the Prophet because they realize if he gets away, then that is proactive. He has made the first move that is de- decisive in this whole thing. So Surat Al-Kahf appears you know, almost um, as a, an announcement of this shift. I mean, that's why I feel if I, if, you, if I could take myself back and you were there experiencing the revelation of this at the moment that it was revealed, you would say, you know, the sun is about to rise, the pleasant, glorious sun is about to rise, and whatever has passed in the past in terms of oppression is now about to turn. And so it's, it's extremely optimistic. But this, I mean, most people, when they read this, they wouldn't have understood that, I think. This is where we are, I mean, in terms of the chapter itself. The, the problem with going into too much detail in tafsir is you lose the whole, the impetus of the chapter itself. And I think that is that you lose the, the wood for the trees, as they say. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Radio Ramadan, 87.7 FM, program Reflections with your host Zubair Akram and my guest Sheikh Radwan Muhammad. Just before the break, um, we my question, Sheikh, was uh, which uh, we went into a bit of detail of why the context is important. Mm-hmm. We're studying or we're trying to look at uh, some of the verses of Surah Kahf, the cave. Uh, again, the backdrop is COVID. 
the backdrop is our situation just now. We're trying to understand our situation and we're trying to study Quran and see how it is relevant mm. uh, for us in our situation just now. And we spoke about the context of the surah when it was revealed. Uh, in the revelation period, it seems, um, again, I have to say it seems because it's n- nothing is confirmed. It is the historians, they they would have an estimation of when it was revealed. So the chapter itself, you mean? The chapter. Hmm. So your question is relevance to um, COVID. Your ask question is also <laughs> about relevance to... Um, um, well, not, not relevance to it. It's more about the degree to which we can be sure about the historical um, context within which this tap- chapter was revealed. The scholars generally know um, a vague estimation of what pe- rough period. So, if you were to look at the seerah of the Prophet you know the 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 the, the, Medi- the Meccan period, which is the first period, you could mm. actually closely say this. You know, if you broke it into three, you could say this Meccan chapter is revealed in the first part, the second part, the third part. Third part. You could and be this that is the kind of vagueness. Part. Yes. So you would know early. Yeah. Alaq, for example. Early Meccan period. And then you would be able to tell the middle Meccan period, such as Surah Yusuf, for example, um, and all the stories of prophets and persecution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think we spoke about Surah Yusuf a couple of years ago, or last year, and it's when it was revealed and why it was so important. Because it was, the, again, it was, it was telling the Prophet, the persecution that you're under will disappear. Mm-hmm. So that's under the persecution. That's like the Prophet being in... In, the, in this, a similar similitude to the Prophet Yusuf in the well <coughs> or in the prison or in the private room with um, the, the, the wife of Aziz. Zulaikha. Yeah, Zulaikha, the name Zulaikha. <laughs> so that being cornered and having no ability to do anything, that was ex- exactly what the, I think the, the, the Muslims were in, in, in terms of that, that state in Mecca. And then the the the, the what we, we would call the exit strategy. I was thinking of that word because um, we're talking about COVID. They're talking about exit strategy. Yeah, yeah. So you have the the third part of the Meccan period. You probably say the the exit period, which is taking them out of the persecution and and moving into the future, which is the Hijrah and Medina and all these things. And so once you get to the Medinan period, we can be much clearer, I think, of when things were revealed because. You know, for example, in Imam Bukhari, he has, um, in fact, Imam Muslim has a narration about um, a, an instance that took place related to um, the revelation of Surah Al-Hujurat. And we know that was revealed in the ninth year of Hijrah. We, we know roughly what month it was revealed in as well, because it was towards the end of the Prophet's life. Mm. In the narration in, in Sahih Muslim, it mentions um, Sa'ad. No, who was it? Sa'ad, uh, I think it was Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. And it mentions him being involved in this whole situation in, in the ninth year. Mm-hmm. Now, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh was one of the, the head of the, Muhaj, of the Ansar. And he was instrumental in this hadith that's in Sahih Muslim. But when uh, Imam Muslim relates the hadith, he also mentions alternatives in which Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh is not mentioned. And Imam Muslim has this method of identifying a weakness in a hadith. If, if the weakness is in the matan, he will put the hadith right at the top of his list. You know, he has, 
the same story, which is about Surah Al-Hujarat, raising your voice in the presence of the Prophet mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a person, one of the companions left himself, kept himself in his house because he had a very loud voice. And so Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad is, is said to have gone to him to find out why he's not coming to the mosque. And he said, because my, my voice is loud and I fear that I will, um, you know, fall into this state where God is, you know, cursing me basically and making my actions come to waste because of my loud voice in front of the Prophet So Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad, what we know is Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad passed away in, during the Battle of Khandaq, as you know. Hmm. Yeah. So the reason I'm mentioning this is we, because of that Imam Muslim puts that hadith at the top to indicate the weakness to show that we know the dates when every single section was revealed and therefore we can say this narration is incorrect. Okay. And so the Medinan period is much more de- much more precise in terms of which verse was revealed where. Okay. The Meccan period is is this vagueness of beginning, middle, end essentially. Sure. And so we can. Your question is: How can we, we be sure? We cannot be sure, but we can we can know the phase. Okay. We know the f- general phase. And, and then there is this um, kind of discerning um, eye as well. Mm-hmm. You you could. Know that this is the third period because most clusters of the surahs will fall under that category. Mm. Uh, well, less commentary. less so because if you want to argue your case that it's the third, you need more than um, you know a kind of supposition that that is the case. You need scholars generally require some kind of more specific evidence. Okay. But in terms of themes, definitely, mm. like you know, one of the ways of knowing when a chapter is revealed is by somebody saying it was revealed in such and such. Okay. Like saying that Ali is saying there's no verse or, or chapter that I except that I know where it was revealed and why it was revealed, for example. Mm, mm. That is the first way of doing it. But the second way is to look at the themes, look at the the types of stories, look at the, the people that are addressed. So if Allah says, Ya Yuhannas, generally scholars would say that that is going to be a Meccan chapter. If it says, Ya Ayyuhaladina Aman, or you who believe, generally to differentiate between people that have not. It will refer to the Medinan period, for example. Mm. If it relates to stories about uh, the Prophet Adam, والسلام, generally, and Iblis, it will generally be Meccan, not always. Um, and if the language, the, probably the best way of telling which, which part of Revelation, you know, sequence, in, in terms of sequence, a chapter comes in, is the quality of the language. Is it addressed to the, the, the sensibilities of the, of the Quraysh, the Bedouin, um, elevated level of Arabic, which is, you know, no, I wouldn't say more eloquent, but it, 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 it's challenging their, their claim that they are, they are the best language. The, the, the better language, yeah. Whereas in Madinat Nawara, it's more to give the message in clear, clear Explanation. language. It's more episodes, it's more of yeah. um, stories as well. Yes, it's, it's exactly that. But in Medina, it's more to clear, clearly tell people what to do. So if you, if, if, if you ask yeah. somebody to do something, you're not going to write a sonnet, a Shakespearean sonnet. Yeah, yeah. And you want the person to fix, you know, this, do this to that. Yeah, yeah. You're going to say, do this there. You're not going to say, and when thou shalt fall upon the, the, the electrical cables that are there, beseech thee that you will yeah, look yeah. upon the yeah, sun. So it's, 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 it's not poetry. But it, the it's thing actually is, more legislative. But the thing is, which one's more eloquent? Is it, you giving this Shakespearean sonnet, or is it just commanding somebody to do something very clearly? I would argue both. Depends. Both, exactly. They both are. The context tells you how you should speak. So if somebody comes up with a Shakespearean sonnet, when they're required to say, 
exactly what needs to be said. Mm-hmm. That is very bad use of language. And, and an example of that in Sahih Bukhari is the story of you know this is a whole different. I don't I don't want to go down that digression. Yeah. Just came to my mind <clears throat> when the Prophet Musa is on the on the on the riverbed and the his clothes are taken. Yeah, he says Thawbi Hajar. Which in Arabic is he obviously spoke in in another language, but the way the Arabic is Thobi Hajar, my clothes the stone, my clothes the stone, the stone because yeah. he's not going to give a whole essay about it. He's he's just trying to get his clothes. Yeah, to the point. So the thing is about Elo- this. That, that's eloquence, right? Yeah, that's eloquence, and this is why the Quran is all eloquence. This is why you know when you look at the the, the Quran and you look at the even clearer chapters. When you look at who is being addressed, is as eloquent as you know the, the terse, um, you know almost cinematic um, verses at the end of the Quran, which talk about the sun and the moon and and the and the and the expansion of the universe and and the, and the rolling up of the, of the of the clouds and the, and the skies, as eloquent. Hmm. And so, what we can see from all of this is that this definitely is coming into a context where. It is relevant to the people, and I think your question at the first bit was actually relevant to COVID. I think it, it, I mean, you put me in the spot here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think, I think definitely it's this change, because what I was talking before the the break was a change, the shift. Yes. I, I can palpably say that I've never experienced, and I don't think people, even I can imagine at the end of the Second World War, that there would be a palpable shift in where you're going. End of a war is an end of a war. You go back to normal life. Yeah. What the the messaging now is from everybody, without exception, apart from obviously Trump, <laughs> telling people to inject disinfectants, mm. is this is a game changer because of the the threat that's on our doorstep is one that we not don't really know how to control from its source. Hmm. And therefore, we're in this kind of, inter, you know, I was talking about Barzakh, we're in this interspace between pre COVID and post COVID. And you were talking, I think yesterday, you were just, just a throw, throw away mark of one of your friends in, in Silicon Valley or somewhere, yeah. saying that in the next six months, you will have the advancements that you would normally get in the, the coming 10 years or whatever. Sure. Now, the point that when, when you said that, I thought about it and it was interesting because you, you would say, well, that's what's normally going to happen. Like, Exponentially, technology and 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 artificial techno- artificial intelligence will just exponentially um, go go on its way. Now it's going to go even faster, yeah, because of necessity. I think that was your point. Because yeah. of necessity, what was going fast is going fast faster. It's like in the Quran, Allah says, "Azifa til azifa" in Surah Al-Najm, that the thing that is closer is coming even closer. And this is this is, mm-hmm. is indication of the Yom Al-Qiyamah, which is. The thing that's close is coming closer. The thing that was exponential is, is becoming mega. even more exponential. Yeah, mega. Like think of meetings that people are having at work. Absolutely. You know, yeah. the way that they're having to, you know, work, realize how to work and be pr- productive in a situation where you can't see face to face. That would have taken them 10 years. Yeah. The kind of change. And we would probably scoff and look back and say, well, you know, in 2020 we were using this and in 2030 we were using this. In 2020, we'll be using what we were going to be using in 2030, probably. So mm. In terms of solutions, you know, in terms of how to facilitate something in medicine, in research, we will now have to reevaluate how we use our timelines 
and essentially in every field that you're in, wherever field you're in, if you're, you know, if you're if you're a, if you're a taxi driver, if you're a med, um, medical practitioner, if you're a, if you're a person in technology, everything will change in some way, it, seismically. And so this chapter, I think, it comes and it just gives you the sense that we're in this interspace where everything is about to shift from pre-COVID mm. to post-COVID. And we're, we're, where are we? We're in this situation. We're in Barzakh just now. Barzakh. We're in Barzakh. We're in this interspace where you're saying, okay, Things when's, are when changing. is the... We, we can, depending on the wisdom that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you and depending on the exposure that you've had mm. and the knowledge you have, You'll probably just vaguely see where things are going, but you're not really sure. I mean, I have, <laughs> I have um, clear ideas of where things are going, which I don't want to share in public, in a public forum. But um, in the barzakh, look at the kind of messages that are coming out, the kind of pronouncements, and the kind of information that we're being given. Yeah, it's indicative of what will come afterwards. So. You know, the, the kind of... Everyone's asking when we're coming out to Barzakh. It's like, you know, when you're... It's like the conversation of people in their graves. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, you, like you know, when will we uh, You know, but you're not sure. You, you know. Yes. But you're, you're not you're sure. Not, you're, 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 who will raise us from this sleep that we're in? Or when you're woken up, who woke us from this sleep? What would happen after this? We just, at the moment, don't know. At the moment, don't know. But... Yes, so post-war literature was different. Post-war industry I, was different. I did mention the Second World War. I think with wars, this is part and parcel of human human ex- experience, which is you go through a war and you go back to what you were doing before. So the the troops went and the men, young men, went to the front line and they came back and they tried to just normalize. People went to yeah. Vietnam and they came back and tried to normalize. It was impossible because of what they saw in terms of the, the, the bloodshed and the torture. So, you know, American um, servicemen, the, I mean, it's, it's well documented the level of mental illness amongst people that have come back, post-traumatic stress syndrome, um, from people that come back from those kind of trauma situations. But I think we, we are different in this situation where it is affecting everybody, whether you're at the front line or not, you are involved in this whole discussion mm-hmm. and Surat Al-Kahf tells us it's going to I mean I'm looking forward to it because it'll, it'll, I mean, every story has this kind of um, light that is indicating the interspace we were in and in, in the story of the, 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 the seven sleepers it will essentially be their sleep prior to that is persecution where they're saying worship Allah the true God um, mm-hmm. Unitarian mm-hmm. Christians, which essentially are Muslims because it's before Islam, and the post period where they will realize that the persecution is no more and there's a new world. Mm-hmm. But what's in be- what's in between these? Allah says we we struck something upon their ears so they could sleep. Now that is the thing that is in the interspace between you know essentially the um, the pre- pre-sleep period, the pre-cave period, and the post-cave period. Yeah. And so you could say, you know, and, and, and the Qur'an has to be relevant to exactly what we're living today. You could say that the, the, the cave was the experience of the lockdown. Yeah. Now, if, For if them. 
for those few souls. No, it is the it is the manifestation of a lockdown. Now, how can you have a more obvious lockdown than Allah saying فَضَرَبْنَا عَلَىٰ أَذَانِهِمْ Like, <laughs> that's in... You know when we're told you can't go out, social distancing, like you can't touch people and you can't... If people come from abroad, you, can't, you have to be self-isolation, quarantining. Like, God has quarantined the seven sleepers. For, yeah. And it's imposed by, 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 by them moving and then Allah says, we have struck upon their, their ears a, a covering. And this is a protective covering. And so the whole point of even the lockdown, if you think about it, Allah is saying we, we placed a, a covering upon their ears. It was, and you know, I think it was um, um, Ibn Atiyah, the, 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 the hadith, the tafsir scholar, who mentions that this means that Allah shielded their ears so that they would not hear what was external to them so that they could sleep. Because one of the things that affects sleep is sound. And you're probably aware of this, if, if, you're, if you're a light sleeper, and there's sounds going along, you wake up for, for any light sound that you have. So one of the mercies of Allah was to put them into lockdown. The lockdown was so perfect that it was, it was to a point that they couldn't even hear anything that would disturb them. And they would go into a deep, deep, deep lockdown, deep sleep. And the thing was, out of that, because their intention going into the lockdown, they came out the lockdown um, in a glorious context of what they had called towards was now what was happening. What their beliefs were were now openly being practiced, whereas before they were in persecution. So I think for us, it's more about when we we're in the lockdown. It very much is about our intention when we came into it, as we're going into it and we're living it. We need to start to work upon it because this is essentially what we call in Arabic uzla. Uzla is to be secluded, and this is exactly what the Prophet did in the in the in the Ghari Hira. So this is a kind of theme that I wanted to bring out, which is Ghariira is essentially the place where you seclude and you reflect and you and you nourish your soul ready for the post cave period. And the post cave period as we know is the Prophet coming and proclaiming and teaching and calling people to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And essentially that is exactly what um, falls upon anybody who goes into seclusion is when they come out they have to proclaim the 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 teachings of, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have to proclaim the teachings of their Lord. But they have to make they have to contextualize them in a way that is relevant to the people within which they are living. And this is what the Prophet exactly did. And this is you know this is why when we go through this this interspace, this kind of medial point in the seerah which we talked about, the medial point in the story of the people of the Kahf and the medial point in our civilizational mm. lives, in terms of our myself and yourself and everybody who's listening, their experiences, I mean, I've not seen an exception. I've not met somebody who said, oh, it was like this in 1930, or, you know, when we were in, you know, in the bunkers in 1942, or, you know, in the wars in, you know, in Ireland, or nobody is seeing, you know, when I was a lad, this was happening, and this is how we got through it. The closest you get is... You know, the kind of rationing at the time of the Second World War. You know, we had food rationing. So people say, we, you know, because of the scarcity of, apparently, there was a certain point, scarcity of food here. Or people felt there was a scarcity of food. There was this idea of rationing and making do with a little and all the rest of it. That's the mm. closest comparison you get to this. Nobody else has any frame of reference to this at all. Mm. Historically. Like, we don't. We have plagues. We have um, the, the outbreak of flu epidemics. But and pandemics as well, but we don't have a method of 
really living and, and, and communicating instantaneously about the same thing globally and trying to combat it, which is what's fascinating. Imagine we didn't have global communication and this thing you know, kind of emanated out of Wuhan and it traveled through the ship lanes and then it passed through countries and the decimation would be unimaginable because you have the mm-hmm. Spanish flu, the turn of the last century, which killed, I think, 30 million people. This would be, this would be far more potent in comparison. The COVID, far more potent because that was a, that was a, that was a, that was a standard fl- type of flu strain. Thirty million. Thirty million. Are we saying it'll be more than that? No, no. What I'm saying is, if we didn't have global communication and people yeah. started to lock down, you know, sure. telling countries to lock down, the president yeah, yeah, saying lock down, yeah. and the pre- pre- prime, prime minister saying lock down. If it just travelled through normal routes, just through through villages, through towns, through large cities, which we have now, the devastation. I mean, that is the thing. The devastation would be horrific because the way it is a much more advanced type of virus than, than the Spanish flu was. And therefore, the we imagine based upon the population density in, in in city. I mean, now we have much more urban populations. The decimation in in large cities would be almost un- unimaginable. <clears throat> so, Sheikh, uh, going back to Surah Kahf, and just before the break, we started basically giving it a context. We gave. Prophet Muhammad's life's context to it. Mm. And that context uh, <clears throat> was important for us to understand. Mm. You know, why, where it was revealed, at what point of Prophet's life it was revealed. Mm. Um, what, and what I understood is that it's like you're going towards kind of a coastal town, and like 10 minutes before the coast, you almost start to smell the sea. Mm hmm. Uh, you're just almost there. Okay, yeah. You, you, you know uh, that yeah. you, if you're going to Turun, you know, now you're close to, <laughs> you, you're closer. Okay. Turun is obviously a coastal town yeah. in Scotland. So <laughs> when you're on land, you're, when you're coming close to the sea, you get the Mubashirat, which are the kind of glad tidings of this, the smell of the sea. Smell of the sea. And so Surat Kaf is essentially the, 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 the scent that you get before you've reached the, the, the sea telling you you're almost at your destination. Yeah. And so the hijrah is the destination. And this essentially, I think, because of the, 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 this asbab and nuzul and what, it, what happens there, I think it's so interesting that that is basically, it shows that the Quraysh are in having to reassess how to deal with the Prophet Because remember, it gets to the point after this, where this so is the only they, way we can do it. They also got it. Yes, they also got it that they and have to now deal differently. Yeah, so and then it comes to a, 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 it comes to a, a point where they have to then solicit a, a young person from each of the tribes to kill the prophet in cold blood. That's where it gets to. So even this attempt by to undermine the teaching by you know giving the prophet some questions that he could not answer fails, and therefore what remains is. To kill, it's like um, it's ground zero option. It's like the option that is going to wipe everything out, um, and and that essentially tells you that they are now moving towards that end end game now. So this is why it's so such a fascinating um, chapter, and the beginning of the chapter is actually interesting because it's is quite a, a a strong beginning. It talks about the fact that Allah has, has revealed this book, which is um, has no crookedness in it, qayyiman, which is straightforward. 
and it comes to warn people which is like a, with a strong, solid, um, forceful um, message from Allah which is essentially Allah says which gives glad tidings to the believers and then it goes on to talk about you know, a warning which is that these people have also um, amongst them they have taken with God partners walad, which is you know a, 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 a kind of a kind of explanation about the the trinitarian belief as well and then allah rebukes that and then allah then says hmm. and then allah says it may well be that you 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 feel sorrow over their state and you follow their 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 their, their signs and their and their and their pathways because of the fact that they do not follow the the, the faith and you feel sorry for them. And so Allah then tells the Prophet you shouldn't do that because inna ja'alna ma'al al We have placed whatever is on the earth as a zina, which is the embellishment for the earth itself. لِنَبْلُوَهُمْ And this is the whole thing. لِنَبْلُوَهُمْ أَيُّهُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا We talked about this yesterday. That Allah says, we do this and we give them the upper hand and they allow them to continue in their state of disbelief. To test them and to see, based upon their 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 arrogance, you would say, their sense of privilege that they're continuing to be on in the upper hand. The Quraysh are still in the upper hand, to see which of them is going to be the best in action. And that is the interesting thing. It's the chapter is saying it's almost like you know, saying is moving into the offensive. This is a very strong opening mm. that is telling the Prophet <coughs> do not. Um, tarry with these people on the simple fact that they have not yet believed the Quraysh of the Prophet leaves Mecca because they haven't accepted the message and he's forced to leave the, the, the city because of that he's told not to feel dejected because of the lack of the, res- the, response, the response yeah. from these people and therefore it will now become a situation where these people will be tested by all the greatness that they have and all the wealth that they have and all the, the embellishments that they have. Because they've rejected. Because they've rejected, they will be given all these tests. And the test of the world is another ibtila, as Allah says, لِنَبْلُوَهُمْ To test them, to examine them, which of them is best. In other words, if they have everything going for them and they have the, the adornments going for them, then we will see which of them is the best in action. لِنَبْلُوَهُمْ is not here, no. So you... you, you. It's not in this. Uh, ibtila is not here, right? Ibtila, what do you mean in terms of. In this uh, Surah Kahf's context, there is no Ibtila mentioned. No, there, in, verse number, in verse number 7. Linabluahum. Yes. You understand? That's my, my point is this, this, this chapter is about testing them in their. In in the pre-test period, you know when the, everything's happy, pre-COVID. Sure. Pre-COVID is happiness <clears throat> and Allah is checking who's the best in action. Like when they can, the hedge funds are doing fantastic and the and the NASDAQ and, and, and the stock exchange and the housing prices, all the rest, fantastic. That is a test for them. Mm. And they will then move into a situation where they will now have all that taken away and see how they can now... Survive, and so what Allah will then move on is into the story of the, the Surah Al-Kahf, which is the essential story of the people of the cave, 
It's a it's a strange time though. It, there is a feeling of things getting taken away, mm-hmm. but as if there is a bait, they, but they aren't really. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's almost kind of a, a very soft warning. It mm-hmm. seems the the phase we are in mm-hmm. is of of a soft warning. Mm. It's not a hard landing. Yeah, this is not. I mean, it's not compared to what we expect in terms of what our future will be. It's not a hard, harsh warning. To yeah. be honest, yeah. In, if you want to put things into perspective, it's not. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, you have emotional stress, you have um, psychological stress, but the kind of, you know, th- you know, the real situations of distress, which are life and death, immediately for everybody. It's not presenting itself as that. I mean, all, all, all three things are very, very important, right? The mm. economics, mm. health, mm. and relations. Mm. It seems somehow through the virtual world or, you know, because of the technology, people are able to still, still they, they, they are connected. Mm. Yes. They are able to kind of fulfill the, the basic mm. uh, connections, roles of of uh, friendships and mm-hmm. um, economics. Mm. I was talking to some of the friends in Pakistan and over here. So it's, it's a welfare state here. The government in all the Western countries is pouring out money mm. to, steep, to, to keep people where they are. Everyone, wherever that person was, is. Remain, will remain. W- will remain. Mm. Uh, for, for at least the basics. Yes, people's wealth the, the extreme wealth dwindles right mm. but the and even in in countries like where pakistan where uh, you know welfare state isn't there th- people have food in their houses more than they ever had mm. the, the even the, the downtrodden the, the poor people mm. who couldn't afford there's so many people helping them out and that's general it's a general feeling that they actually have more food than they ever had. Mm. Majority. Yes. But how long will it sustain? So it seems it's, it's a strange situation. You you could almost see things were going to go really bad. People started panic buying and everything else, mm. but then it stalled. Yes. I mean that that comes back to resources and and, and um, the, the the people that have um, the use of resources and the people that have like the, the people are talking multi billionaire yeah. corporations that hoard wealth in a way that is unsubstantiated in terms of any ethical method of earning because that's the whole point i mean yeah the, the, the twitter ceo i mean the 26 percent yeah so yeah so so um you know multinational companies that that create um conglomerations of, of wealth capital um that is essentially through monopolistic trading practices which are in our sharia is is, is, is haram clearly and without any kind of um, vague vagueness in that at all, the issue is more about redistribution of what we have because there's enough resources. The question is never about resources. Mm, mm. The question is not about whether the earth has enough resources in terms of wealth that could sustain a less. Um, and, and in fact, I've, I've actually spoken about this about you know the, there's this um, there's this kind of whole move by the United Nations to look at sustainable growth. Mm. And you know, my, myself and um, the Islamic um, Finance Council in the Church of Scotland, we produced this document called the Shared Ethical Values of Christianity and Islam. One of the things I noticed when I was writing uh, writing that document was this idea of sustained growth. 
mm-hmm. or sustainable, sorry, sustainable growth. Growth, and I mentioned in, in the document, there's no such thing as growth that can be sustainable. Okay. At a certain point, what is, what is growing has to die. And that's... That's just the way... How can you have sustainable growth? So they were aiming... United Nations is saying we need sustainable growth. But how can you have sustainable growth? So every growth has its autumn. Yes, absolutely. And why have growth? Why not have prosperity? General prosperity. Yes. And this is the thing about... you know, thing Somebody actually mentioned to me... I was, having, I was critiquing capitalism and I stopped because of an advert break. Um, to be honest, I think we did critique it and it, <laughs> and it, was off and it, and it got cut off or something. But the point is, the, the Islam is very interesting because it allows people the right to own their own private wealth and to continue to do that. Mm. It doesn't say stop. It doesn't say you need to share. It says earn, but a small amount given charity. Mm-hmm. So it's very much... A capitalist religion in that sense But it also places Barriers in the accumulation of wealth In the sense that it's not Related to a person It's related to corporations So the moment you die It's distributed It's chopped mm. up mm. Naturally once you die That that wealth Which is say Somebody got Somebody's a multi-billionaire Trillionaire They die That wealth will be distributed mm. And say it goes to one of the uh, ten people, for, for argument's sake. One of the people is spendthrift. Spends yeah. the money, it trickles down to people, Quite goes all the way. Yeah. It just goes through the sieve and it falls back down to society. Sure. What we have now is, it, it, it doesn't matter if you die, the corporation contains and sustains hmm. the wealth, the power, the influence. The influence, remember, is like go to America, lobby, lobbying for... Yep. Specific policies That's exactly what it is So the strongest nation On the face of this earth Basically Exists based upon Is democracy Exists based upon The lobby system Mm. Which means If you have a corporation That has the wealth You will get the policies Accepted for whatever Is in your benefit Now Just change that small thing You change The face of how wealth Is distributed And there's In fact There's a There's a There's a a book A PhD Or It's a work um, Printed by Princeton Press the book by um, um, Timur Kuran, I think it is, um, and I, I had there. I, mem- I remember the title just a second ago, and it actually disappeared. Um, it actually disappeared. But um, Timur Kuran—that's the name of the, the author. It's about why Islam fell back, mm. why it was didn't end up. Progressing in the same way that the West progressed, and he got it down to the contract system in Islam, which does not allow a, a, a non-personal corporation to come into existence. So basically, in a Muslim in the Muslim world, any company had to be owned by individuals. The moment the, moment the individual dies, that's distributed, and that's why Islam was not able to keep up with the West in terms of economic growth and research and development, all these things. Yeah. Whereas in the West. It moved to um, corporations that are not based upon individuals, but based upon a structure mm. and a CEO who, who, which moves on. Essentially, the shareholders, the people that buy into it, it can perpetuate and become more powerful and it allows you to do much more research and development. And it perpetuated that strength. And so what's interesting here is, in the, in the, in the current situation, the idea of distributing wealth and, and, and giving everybody enough there's no question that we have enough. 
it's a question of, your, of, the, of the focus of your society and what it wants to do. So, you know, in Scotland, in Scotland, there's the idea of creating a fairer, more caring society, a different way after COVID. Mm. And so in Norway, in, in Sweden, these kind of countries, it's, it's about, you know, giving a, a, a national minimum wage, but also a basic allowance wage for everybody, regardless of whether they're working or not. So that is a different way of looking at how to distribute wealth and to have um, prosperity spread amongst much more people. Obviously, this is the communities and the, and the democracies that are there have to decide which is best for them. But the point here is that it's now about what type of society would you want to, do we want to create? Do you want to continue with that monopolistic economic system which congregates but wealth in, in, the, in, the, in the hands of corporations hmm. that, are, that will remain and perpetuate well after we die? Or is it to do with redistribution through what we essentially call mirath, which is inheritance law? But, but the COVID itself is a game changer in the sense that mm. what, you, what humanity planned, the mm. civilization, the dominant civilization has planned, mm-hmm. is not going to work because there is an interruption, there mm. is a pause. Yeah, the pause, exactly, that's the pause. And I think what is sinister about this whole situation is you'll have a, probably a global shift in terms of power dynamics between different civilizations. Yeah. So this is why, you know, if you want to really think about Deeply about what is happening. You're yeah. talking about civilizational shift. So there are where the, when the history is written, this will be where you know this was that those those policies were the things that led to certain civilizations leap leap jumping. Yeah. In terms of um, superiority over others, and it's true for individuals. Mm. It's true for little small communities as well, mm. because there is uh, the one who's already down mm-hmm. can't go any further. Yes, yes. And I think it's the, the warning is for the ones who were really high up the ladder. Mm. Yeah, so now it'll be a question of which much of those is able to get off the starting, starting blocks in the right direction first in terms of they decide to launch something specific in the right direction which will then allow them to you know, kind of leverage their, their monopoly on, on things but as well. Is, it doesn't seem to be a thought process present in people who or communities or nations who would probably possibly leverage from the situation mm. that that is lacking mm-hmm. uh, even in Muslim scholarship mm-hmm. there isn't a response to this yes there isn't a deep conversation around the situation yes. at the moment we're still taravi no taravi <laughs> you know what I mean like juma no juma and the whole uh, thing yeah, of yeah. Uh, shall we open the and I, I, I'm not sure. Okay, I'm, I was talk, I was going to start talking about something else, but I am not sure when we see these posts that Allah is angry with us, uh-huh. and hence the haram is closed. Uh-huh. Okay, or we're not able to go to mosque. Right, and to as if to not to make him angry is just by force open the haram. Mm-hmm. Or be present in the mosque, and that will be a symbol. Now he's no more angry. Right. Yes. Yeah, so is the is the shutdown of lockdown of, of religious spaces a sign of God's anger? Yeah. In this situation, over essentially, what is it to do with um, a lack of spiritual energy in the community? Is it? What's, yeah. What's it? So the pe- people. Mm. I mean, I would I would say the, 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 the you know. 
if you think of COVID, you would say the, the, the era that we're living in, I think, <clears throat> yes, you would expect a religious thinkers to think. Not just about, you know, why is no trawi? Yeah. You know, um, you know, like, does toothpaste break my fast? The kind of usual... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y- you would imagine, you know, like, it's like... It was um, Imam Malik was asked by somebody from Iraq came to Medina al and he says, what do you say about such and such? Um, which is, you know, um, killing a mosquito. And the blood of that, if it remains on your body, does it, does it invalidate the prayer if it's prayed? And Imam Malik <laughs> said to him, he said, you come from the city that, that murdered the, 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 the grandson of the Prophet ﷺ, and you come to me asking about the mosquito blood. Mm. Mm. A sense of perspective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes I do wonder when when Muslims discuss certain things, I do go into the state of bewilderment of yes. the, um, you know, I understand it, common people ask it, but I, when, I, when scholars are going to some kind of deep discussion about something which is so mundane, you know, my mind does really um, just have to cool down because it is such a strange thing where, we are we are a civilization that ruled <laughs> the east and the west. Yes, the majesty of the Ottomans, the Mughals, the the majesty of the Abbasids and the Umayyads, yeah. and the civilizational force that we had. And I don't I don't blame the scholarship. I don't blame the scholars in that this context. But you need to raise the bar in terms of where other people are having conversations. This is what's embarrassing about this whole it situation. Is is there's no such conceptualization of that at all, and really, that is why you know when we're do- and this doing is where, gaff, when you were saying there is. This is really sorry. This is why you know when we're doing this chapter, it's not a traditional tafsir because the traditional tafsir would restrict it to the text and say this word means this, yeah, and this is the amount of reward you get for reciting it, and and then recite it in taraweeh, yeah, and you which I think you've missed. You miss the point of the Quran if you've said that that is what it's all about. So the Quran is all about life. It's dealing with life. Hudalin nas. Well, I mean, if you say hudalin nas, you've got a big problem. If you then say, is this about opening up a virtual bank where you're collecting rewards for the hereafter? Yeah, yeah. Seriously, you know, like if you're saying it's about um, virtual rewards in the hereafter and you're collecting, you know, rewards by reciting things, you get the rewards because you recite it. And it guides you to Huda guidance. Yeah, yeah. Like it makes a change in how you behave. It makes a change in how you decide. You think. Not just behave, but think. Remember, thinking comes before acting. What what, what saddens me, Sheikh, is this. that You could see a new space being created. Mm. There is a shift in um, the the plates, the Mm. civilization plates. Mm. But I don't see me there. Mm. The faith that I subscribe to, mm. because there isn't a conversation that has any depth. Mm. There isn't no there is no seriousness anywhere. Mm. If it happens, it will be because of the will of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Then uh, maybe a new uh, emergence of some kind of leadership somewhere. Mm. I can't see it. I think. I think. Um you, before the 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 daybreak, there's the darkness is is the most intense. Yes. <laughs> so true. So the optimism is is one that is 
because it's the faith of Allah, we have immense optimism. And I think it's, it's just that small missing link, which is the leadership and the scholarship. The scholarship requires to be much more enlightened on its own tradition and see the potential of its own tradition. I think this is what it is. You know, when you have something, you don't realize its potential. Mm. Like you've got, yeah. you've got like something in your house, which is the amazing piece of kit that can do so many amazing things. You can't use it. So if I've got, you know, in my house, I've got some piece of technology and the, the, the waste would be, I don't know how to use it. And I never use its potentiality. We have Islam and its potentiality is mind blowing. And the, the, the shame is that we never tap, open it up. You know, when you yes. have a, when you have this parcel coming and it's got this amazing thing that you need to use, but you never open it. You, you die the and then you're, you don't know your, the your, your, your children open it and say, oh my, my father didn't open this. We'll open it. It's a shame because the most, at least you passed it on. At least you were the reason to order the package in the first place. But the reason was you should have actually acted upon it. And this is why the Quran, it always, when I read it, I always, you know, when I read a verse, I'll, I'll be very clear, clear with you. When I read a verse of the Quran, when I'm reading, I, it instantly jumps to something that's happening in the world. And mm. that's why sometimes I find it difficult finishing a chapter because I end up thinking about the verse and how it could manifest in something that I've just read about in the morning. Mm. Mm. That's why the Quran is just so mind-blowing, is that I find it difficult reading a chapter beginning to end. Because if I reflect, reading reflection, then I do stop and I think, then I look back and I go, and then before I know I'm at the back of the beginning of the chapter again because I'm looking at this verse and that verse. And that is amazing. And I think that is, the Quran is a conversation with you where you are engaging in the, engaging in the conversation to the point that sometimes you don't get to the end of the conversation. Yes. You know, imagine you went to a restaurant and you, you start, you order something, you find the, the person who owns the restaurant so interesting that yeah, you just in conversation. Before you know it, he says, "Oh, we're closed, or no orders," <laughs> and you say, "It's fine because I just, I just enjoyed speaking to you." Yes, yes, yes. And so the Quran is like that. I mean, is it to get from Fatiha to Nas and and rack up the rewards in the virtual rewards I'm talking about, or is it that what Imam Shafi you know used to say is that ibadah? If you if you if you compare worship to learning and, and knowledge. He preferred learning over supererogatory extra worship. Mm. And essentially, if you do that, that is that kind of pivotal change where you see your civilization then starts to be at the table of ideas, which you were talking about. Iftar today is at 8.57, and we will uh, just, so that all this, uh, just a reminder to the listeners as well, that we are transmitting this radio uh, broadcast through different means because of covid uh, is most of his internet there is a bit of a delay and to time it right the adhan is going to be a challenge so we've decided today that we'll we'll stop at 8:54 leave you with a track and inshallah uh, this will take you to a well timed adhan so 8:54 is when we will stop the show uh, we'll leave you with uh, a track and then it will be Adhan. So Adhan today is at 8.57. 8.57 is uh, today uh, Maghrib. Uh, I have with me Sheikh Rizwan. We start this program every day at half past seven, discussing Surah Kahf, uh, which we are uh, encouraged to read on every Friday. Uh, the, the, at least the first Ruku and the last Ruku, if we, if we can't read all of it. 
uh, has clear themes uh, which we need to reflect on uh, with the situation that we are in. The story of Khizr, the, the story of the people who slept in the cave, uh, and also uh, of Zulkarnain. And we understand this through the life of Prophet wasallam, where it was revealed, when it was revealed, and how did Prophet and his companions interact with these ayahs and the lessons we have for it. Uh, a few more minutes, a couple of minutes we have, Sheikh. Uh, last moments and the significance of the seerah to understand Quran, understand ourselves, how important it is to understand Prophet Sallallahu life. I, I think um, Abdullah Narwaha radiallahu mentioned it in the most perfect line of poetry uh, when, in which he said, he said, even if the the miraculous nature of the revelation was not revealed, his sight and his life would have given you the message. Meaning that he encapsulated the Qur'an. Hmm. So the seerah is inseparable to understanding the Qur'anic text. The events of it, the trials and tribulations, the victories, the the laughing... And the the smiling and the, and and this weeping is all part and parcel of the Quranic revelation, and so essentially what you're what you're what you're left with is <coughs> you cannot have tawheed, la tawheed bidun rasul. You cannot mm. not have tawheed, which is the unity of God, with without the Prophet ﷺ, because it's with him you realize the most perfect of people was still human, and therefore the unity of God is absolute. So Allah is the only one worthy of worship, and that's essentially what we come to know through um, the Qur'an and the seerah of the Prophet So they're interlinked, you know, as we were discussing today, interlinked to the point that there's no understanding of the Qur'an without a very clear understanding of the trajectory of the Sunnah and the seerah of the Prophet and the life events that took place. Coupling those together, you get this amazing cinematic experience of the Qur'anic text. And that's the whole purpose. Jazakallah khair and that's all the time we have for reflections for today inshallah we'll be back tomorrow assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah